The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Welcome to the Time of Monsters podcast, sponsored by The Nation magazine and widely available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, for this week, I want to talk about a more entertaining figure, perhaps not quite a, a monster, but maybe an entertaining little golem or imp of the perverse, uh, which is uh, George Santos, uh, the newly minted uh, congressman uh, from New York State, uh, who um, has become quite the figure because of his uh, sort of epic history of lying, which, you know, one can compare either to Baron Munchheisen or on a less literary level, George Constanza on, on Seinfeld. Uh, and uh, he, uh, you know, he seems to have lied about everything. And we'll go into all the lies that he's told, but a lot of lies about his family history, his education, his um, uh, uh, road to wealth uh, or supposed wealth, uh, and even uh, uh, lies about his uh, college uh, athletic career and the injuries he received therefrom. Uh, but, you know, you know, as entertaining as the Santos story is, I've been disappointed by most uh, coverage of it because it tends to treat him as a kind of entertaining freak uh, and this sideshow to politics. And I, I actually think that Santos speaks to something larger in the political system uh, that goes beyond, you know, this one um, kind of con man. And uh, I was very grateful uh, that uh, Moira Dunigan, uh, the columnist for The Guardian uh, magazine, uh, who writes on American affairs for The Guardian, um, wrote an excellent column, uh, characteristically good, uh, about Santos, uh, which, um, uh, you know, tries to link him with broader problems in the Republican Party, but beyond the Republican Party in the sort of political system at large, and maybe even in the dream life of America. Uh, so uh, uh, Moira has been a guest on before, and I, I hope we'll, we'll continue to be because uh, she's a, a wonderful, spirited conversationalist. So I just I just want to, uh, maybe we could just start with the, the, the lies. Like, what are some of the lies of George Santos? Oh my God, what aren't the lies? Gee, thank you so much for having me for one thing. I'm thrilled to be here. This is a blast. Uh, but George Santos is a really interesting figure. He just won a congressional seat in New York's third district, which is a sort of middle, upper middle class suburban district uh, in the suburbs of New York out on Long Island. And it turns out uh, that basically none of what he ran on as his standard biography is true. Uh, and these are like very basic things like where he went to school, uh, where he worked, what he has done for a living, what his <clears throat> pastimes are, who he has been married to, all of these different um, quite foundational aspects of his biography have turned out to be not merely as he has admitted to like embellished, but outright fabricated. Um, so he said that he went to Horace Mann, a kind of Tony Preparatory Boys School in New York City. He didn't. He said that he went to Baruch College, a very like well-regarded public college in New York City. He didn't go there. He said he got an MBA from NYU. He didn't get that either. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, he said that he worked as a, a sort of financial advisor and trader at these big blue chip financial firms like Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. And those people have no record of him ever having worked there. He said that he ran a pet charity called Friends of Pets United for 10 years. It does not seem to have existed. Um, 
And then, you know, there are, there are other things that don't add up either. This is um, a man who has claimed to be the descendant of Holocaust refugees who fled Ukraine to Brazil. Um, that does not seem to be the case. He's claimed to be Jewish in his campaign out in, it should be mentioned, a heavily Jewish district. Uh, and then he's later tried to backtrack saying, no, 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 I, I only meant that I was Jewish. Um, he claimed that his mother died on 9-11. She didn't. Uh, he claimed that four members or four employees at a company he started in Florida were killed at the Pulse nightclub. There was no company. There were no employees. Um, so, you know, this guy has painted himself a very vivid biography and he has lied about all of it. And, you know, some of the lies seem kind of personally pathological or just plain weird. Like he claimed that he was a volleyball champion in college at Baruch College, uh, won some kind of championship and had to have a knee replaced. Um, he didn't go to Barrett College. Barrett College does not have a men's volleyball team. Uh, he has seems to have both of his original knees. But, you know, that's not really a self-serving lie. It's just kind of a weird one. It's like, why? Um, but then he has also claimed, you know, this kind of rags to riches uh, upward mobility narrative. And he has claimed um, ethnic and identif identity uh, allegiances that he doesn't seem to have. And, you know, some of these lies are are pointless and some are incredibly savvy. So it's interesting to place Santos somewhat at the intersection of like personal pathology and mental illness, but also, um, you know, speculatively, but as, as has been done by some members of the Republican Party. But he also seems to typify and maybe even like in some kind of perverse way perfect some of the dishonesty that has come to govern a lot of American politics, particularly in the Republican Party. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think the the lies, I mean, I, I think the one lie that you forgot is he seemed to have some sort of like brain cancer or brain damage uh, that was uh, treated. <laughs> so and I think that we can easily put under the, you know, like, you know, pathological personal lie to make oneself more interesting, uh, you know, which happens out in life. Uh, but I think that what's more interesting, I think your piece really brings us out, are the lies that exist to serve a purpose and to serve a narrative. And there's in ways in which the lies he told were like lies that people want to believe. And they want to believe, uh, you know, in the American dream, which, you know, some of us might say, especially in the 21st century is a lie. But, but the idea that, you know, you can go from being a working class immigrant uh, from Brazil or um, a child of working class immigrant from Brazil and, you know, go to the top of Goldman Sachs and and, and Congress. Um, I mean, people want to believe these narratives and they want, and there's a desire to have some of the roles that he filled, to have someone who is a, you know, conservative Republican, but... Um, 
uh, uh, is Jewish and gay and uh, and uh, Latino uh, and a working class background. I mean, one can see the sort of appeal that that could have to like, you know, as you mentioned, the sort of well-to-do uh, uh, formerly democratic voters of Long Island. Yeah, I mean, I think what you have to look at when you're examining this sort of fictional biography that George Santos created for himself is like, how does it work as a piece of fiction, right? And as a piece of fiction, it works very much and in this Horatio Alger mold um, or like a kind of schlocky like Steven Spielberg film. You know, it seems like he is present at every moment or something from his biography is present at every moment that has like sort of challenged the American self-conception and conscience, right? Like he links himself to the Holocaust. He links himself to 9-11. He links himself to uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting. And he is sort of, um, he also seems to have fabricated at one point uh, a vandalism and attacks on his, on his personal home, supposedly committed by left-wing protesters uh in an incident that he said happened shortly after the the 2020 summer with the the George Floyd um uprising and you know he sort of has this Forrest Gump tendency to always be there um and so he's kind of working to create this persona where he embodies America itself um and in some ways you could say from a, a quite cynical perspective that he does, right? Because um, he has uh, propelled himself seeming to lead to a position of, of quite a bit of prominence through this dishonesty. Um, uh, and there's something almost, I don't think you, I think it was you, Jeet, who said on Twitter that he's almost taking on the persona of a, a folk hero, even as um, other Republicans from his caucus in New York, at least disavow him and call on him to resign. Uh, uh, national Republican leadership has been much more hands-off because they need his vote in the House. Um, but he has perversely in his dishonesty almost a kind of honesty because his lies are not concealed by pretext or pretensions to virtue or technicality. He's just kind of shamelessly lying in this way that's almost kind of refreshing. I don't want to say, like, I do not admire George Santos, um, but there is something uh, kind of perfect about the distillation of all of these, um, you know, dysfunctional elements of American politics that he's come to represent. You know, he is putting on a story that's very, very appealing while himself being very, very corrupt. And and doesn't that say all that there is to say? Yeah, no, there is something about him just as a character that I think is leaving aside the political analysis, but I think is worth emphasizing. Uh, yeah, and I did sort of say he's become a sort of folk hero just because, you know, you know, they're the classic American archetypes in film, you know, the cowboy, the gangster, but there's also the con man, uh, you know, the characters in The Sting, uh, or, you know, George Costanza in Seinfeld, you know, the someone who's a kind of shameless liar and gets away with it. And, you know, like on a moral level, 
uh, you know, when our um, super ego is working, of course, we tut tut that and say, that's very wrong. That's very bad. But there's always a part of us in the audience, as if we're watching one of these stories, that kind of like, you know, like admires that because the just the gangster, you know, shows the corruption of the system. You know, the godfather is a great critique of the American system. And the con man has the same function. The con man um, uh, is, seems admirable because he's someone who... Um, uh, shows, you know, just how fraudulent everything is. And there's always a part of our soul, I think, especially if we're not like goody two shoes and, you know, not uh, respectable people that kind of like knows the system is a bit of a fraud. And to see someone like shamelessly getting away with it is kind of admirable. Um, I mean, to you know, as you mentioned, Spielberg, uh, and I'll say after the Fablemans, this is a pro Spielberg podcast uh but uh after uh yeah Spiegel, uh spielberg in um uh caught this very well in um the uh movie he did with leonardo dicaprio catch me if you can uh you know which is about a con man who can pretend to be a pilot or pretend to be a doctor and get away with it uh and uh um i mean it's in some ways it's the reverse of uh the common phenomena of imposter syndrome you know someone who doesn't have imposter someone who's just a, a successful imposter like like that you know if we, if you suffer from imposter syndrome there's something like admirable about like say hey you know like someone can be an imposter and get away with it so i, I do think that there's a kind of um uh emotional level where the story is very entertaining and uh almost joyous to people i don't i, I think it's wrong to deny ourselves the level of entertainment that we're getting like we have to be honest about this right uh but but having said that like obviously like you know when one thinks about you know like lying about you know 9-11 or the holocaust or the pulse thing that's, that's morally reprehensible no question and and more to the point uh the political projects on which he's lying on behalf of this kind of you know american dream and this kind of you know meritocracy where virtue can rise you know like you know leaving aside our entertainment event it does seem uh, uh you know like I, I think it's more worthwhile to question that um uh, uh, system. Um, and I think the further point that you made, I, I want to bring out here is, you know, like, there are a lot of other people that lie, and get away with it, and aren't, um, uh, you know, made the sort of scapegoats, and they sort of held up the public ridicule in the way that Santa says. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to, because, you know, um, something that's kind of weird about George Santos is that he's not really lying more than this sort of Republican political media machine is doing. He's just kind of telling different lies or more personal lies, right? So, you know, there was a large propaganda machine around the 2020 election that fabricated um, based on, you know, as little ties to reality as Santos has his biography, these claims of voter fraud, right? Um you know, we're going to manipulate this security video of these, you know, this mother and daughter who are working as a poll workers in Atlanta and say that they're passing a thumb drive full of false votes when it was in fact a candy, you know. Um, and those are elaborate lies. They are full fabrications the way that George Santos's biography was. Um, they were put forward with you know, the same kind of shameless confidence, and they led to actual violence. Um, and that lie has not, or or does not seem to be um, garnering consequences, and it's not garnering 
a degree of pathologization of the individuals who perpetuated it the way that George Santos's lies are. You know, um, there are abundant lies about abortion, some written into our law, some that are required to be read to women seeking abortions in several states that are utter fabrications. Um, and the people pushing those lies are not pathologize the way that George Santos is. Um, and then, you know, there's a kind of more standard distortions of biography and achievement that you see basically in every single politician's career. Um, <clears throat> like Tammy Duckworth beat out a Republican senator from Illinois who had fabricated, I forget this bozo's name, but he had fabricated uh, some military accomplishments and these are awards he said he won that he just didn't and it was able to be looked up and it didn't matter um you know on a I think like not morally equivalent scale but like further on towards the um honest end of the deceiving spectrum like John Fetterman has really presented himself as a like working class guy when in reality he's like a little more privileged than uh his like appearance might indicate and had early material support from his parents, et cetera, et cetera. And like, um, you know, a friend, a friend of mine ran for local office and said, uh, really, you know, emphasized that his parents had run a pizza parlor when he was growing up. And that was true for a few years. And then they became biochemists. But, you know, he leaned into the pizza parlor, you know, and this is um, this is kind of a. a Everyone's born in a log cabin. Uh yeah, exactly. It's a genre of biographical dishonesty that has become standard in the political campaign uh, because it's about asserting a belief in this story of upward mobility, story of, you know, possibilities of prosperity, story of hard work um, and dedication in the United States context leading to honesty being rewarded with power. And it's just like, it has to be buttressed by dishonesty because it's not true. It's not how anybody's life works uh, and hasn't been for, you know, really a, for the vast majority of American people for the vast majority of our history. Um, so, you know, it's, it's that we are committed to this fiction that incentivizes this kind of dishonesty. And in the Republican Party in particular, self-serving dishonesty outright fabrications uh, like, like not merely distortions but actual fabrications um have become a pretty standard amount of punk party functionality it's just that they are coordinated and accepted and you know santos's big trespass in that sense is kind of get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program that he went off script yeah no i mean it's an interesting paradox as you say everyone tries to claim the horatio algiers myth and they're kind of lying about it because they, they usually come from a more privileged place than they did and whereas santos actually did live the story i mean he came from a much more working class background than like the typical mem member of congress 
Uh, but he uh, uh, he lived the story by lying about it, which turns out to be worse than not living the story and lying about it. Uh, so, which is a, a kind of interesting paradox. Um, uh, uh, and it is the the desire not to question. And I think it's a bipartisan thing. You know, the desire not to question that myth um, that uh, becomes um, uh, and to you know maintain the racial. Alger story, you know, I mean, that is the real lie, but th that is what cannot be questioned. And so in some ways, I mean, again, I don't want to say any brief for George Santos, who deserves everything that's coming to him, but um, there's a way in which he's a scapegoat for something that's much larger than him. I, I almost wonder if part of the reason George Santos has been singled out is not just, you know, the extreme extreme nature of his fabrications, which I do think are different in degree, if not especially different in kind, right? Uh, but it might be, as you pointed out, Jeet, sort of the direction with which he is <laughs> pointing his dishonesty, because there's something about being born to privilege that is seen as granting you an entitlement to power. And there's something about the direction of lying, uh, where you lie to say that you were more disadvantaged than you were that seems to be given greater permission. Whereas this guy, George Santos, actually lived, you know, a quite, as we were talking about earlier before we started recording, a quite like mundane working class immigrant life of striving. You know, he lived in Queens with his mother, who was a housekeeper. Um, he worked for a long time in a call center doing like, you know, customer service. Uh, he was evicted a couple of times, they couldn't always make rent. You know, this is a story that does sound like the opening chapter of a Horatio Alder novel, but that's not what he said he was doing. You know, during the time he was actually working in a call center, he said that he was working for Citigroup. Uh, and it's the maybe aspiration to prestige instead of the aspiration to working class authenticity that is actually uh, the taboo that he has, that he has crossed. Yeah, no, no. I mean, if one looks at it that way, it is really perverse. Um, there's another uh, the aspect of the story, which is still a mystery. I think we're getting some hints of it um, uh, now coming out with some new reporting, uh, which is like, how did he do this? Where did the money come from? How did he actually go from being an actual, you know, legitimate working class guy uh, to a guy who had like a lot of money behind him? Uh, uh, there, there there seems to have been like some sort of moment where he found some patrons uh, who, who gave it to them. So some of the recent reporting kind of, you know, hints at like um, a Russian oligarch and, and there might be others as well. But um, uh, I mean, I think there's a there's different aspects to, to this. But one is... Um, if he did, I mean, if as it seems likely, he found uh, some wealthy patrons who you know decide to support him in this. Um, how did he get them? And I think that uh, you might uh, it might be worth pointing out like why a figure like him is so appealing to you know some Republican donors. Like, like what what uh, what was his sales pitch that you know was turned out to be successful? Yeah, so I think it's worth noting that this is not the first time George Santos ran for Congress. He ran in 2020, and his financial disclosure forms at that time uh, say that he had been making about $50,000 that year. Um, and then when he ran again in 2022, he donated 
$700,000 to his own campaign, right? So something happened in those two years that changed his circumstances pretty dramatically. Um, he lost in 2020. I believe he lost in the primary uh, to, and and the uh, seat wound up going to a Democrat named Tom Sozi. Um, but, you know, that part of Long Island has been changing quite a bit. It is going for Trump. It is getting redder. It has always been pretty white and pretty middle class. But what that has me- meant electorally uh, is changing quite a bit. And I think it's also worth thinking a little bit about politics in the state of New York, which is a very blue state anchored by a very, very big blue city that has a like pretty terminally corrupt and incompetent Democratic Party that completely botched the congressional redistricting, um, tried to keep this shoulder-slapping governor in office even as he was, uh, you know, sexually harassing seemingly everybody around him uh, and, you know, getting help covering that up from well-connected members of New York's NGO scene. Um, You know, they don't, the, the New York City Democratic Party does not see themselves as having to work very hard. They see themselves as in a uh, sort of very lucrative, rewarding position uh, where they can, um, you know, look out for themselves and their friends. So they botched this redistricting and then they really, really botched this congressional cycle in 2022. Uh, So districts that were winnable were lost because the New York City Democrats were not doing their due diligence. And, And one of those... Uh, races where they didn't was in New York 3 because this was, you know, the New York Times got kind of a lot of flack for not reporting on Santos's lies and exposing them to this big white audience until after the election. But in fact, local newspapers were. Um, This was actually covered before the election by local news. It wasn't picked up. The New York State Democrats didn't exploit it. They let the seat go. But that doesn't excuse or sort of um, erase what is happening into the district, which is it is a group of mostly, you know, upper and upper middle class white voters who are in the suburbs who are trending right. They've been trending towards Trump. They've been trending more conservative. Um, And that doesn't mean that they are the white grievance voters. It doesn't mean this is a whole bunch of people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, but it does mean that it's people who want to vote Republican, and and because they used to be Democrats not very long ago, they frequently want to do so in a way that, like, helps them preserve their identity as tolerant cosmopolitans, right? Um, so I think one of the things that may have encouraged these, you know, kind of mysterious as of now funding sources for Santos and his, uh, congressional campaign is that he checks a lot of identity boxes, or at least he claimed to, right? The version of events that Santos put forward about himself was that he was a gay Jewish Latino man. He was a millennial. He's very young. He's 34. He's a millennial. He is this kind of Republican that does not appear, at least from the outset, to be a white grievance candidate, you know? Um, he, and, he, and in particular, he 
fits identity categories that have been the subject of like a lot of fear mongering in Republican politics. He is a Latino and, you know, Latinos and and an immigrant Latino or the son of immigrants. uh, And that has been, you know, a very um, rewarding source of fear mongering for the Republican Party about Latino immigration and its supposed, um, you know, threat to the American character, the sort of like racist imagination that they've uh, encouraged. Santos claims to be Jewish. um, And, you know, the Republican Party is now still gripped by sort of, um, you know, more in the 2020 cycle, QAnon, uh, in the 2022 cycle, that has receded somewhat, but there is still a um, sort of strain of anti-Semitic conspiracizing in the Republican Party. And also he's... And the space lasers, and yeah. um, And also, you know, Santos is gay, and there has been a... Or he appears to be gay, and there uh, has been a real flowering of homophobic sentiment um, around particularly school boards in local politics uh, around this, you know, groomer panic that has become quite violent. Um, And what he gave these voters in his district who want to think of themselves as tolerant, you know, perhaps even socially liberal or at least not um, racist characters is he gave them a ton of plausible deniability. And I think that would have been a really appealing package for these donors, you know, uh, whoever they may be. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that there is like, I mean, you know, as a candidate, I think he seemed almost too good to be true. And he was too good to be true. That This is like a dream candidate. If you're, if you're like, you're running as a Republican in a kind of, you know, blue trending red district that uh, you can uh, have someone. And, you know, one saw it in people, you know, um, who are, if not quite Republican, I uh, do want to try to promote the idea that the Republicans are different. Uh, I am thinking of uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, who tweeted out earlier uh, this like uh, tweet that I think, uh, as the as the kids like to say these days, it has not aged well. Uh, he tweeted out on November fifteenth, meet George Santos, the first ever Brazilian American and first ever openly gay Republican elected to Congress in U.S. history, the son of working class immigrant parents who left Brazil for U.S. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you can see in that tweet, I think, the idea that like, oh, it's great news that uh, this guy is a different sort of Republican uh, for people who want different sort of Republicans. People want a permission structure uh, to be more uh, open to the Republican Party. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't think we should necessarily touch at the issue of uh, is he really gay? Like, I think at this point, but except that I do think that I think there's a market precisely. I mean, it's it's an ironic thing, and it's worth pointing out that precisely because the Republican Party has gone, parts of it have gone so hard on anti-gay stuff, on anti-trans stuff, that there's a need to have a kind of balance of, you know, the good gays. And then, and then um, uh, the Tucker Carlson on his show, like if he wants to go after trans people, he will get people who are putatively gay. I, I don't know exactly what their identity is, but they claim to be gay and they say, we're gays against groomers. Uh, because it's understood that if you want to wage this sort of identity war, um, you should not, uh, if you want to attack, 
you know, civil rights, it's best to have a, a black face there. If you want to attack feminism, it's uh, uh, best to get um, an anti-feminist woman. And if you want to attack gay rights, it's best to get someone who claims to be gay. And um, I think as is pointed out uh, that uh, it would have been, um, if he hadn't been uh, so discredited by events, uh, I think George Santos would be on Tucker Carlson every week as the sort of, you know, hey, Tucker, I'm gay. And I think these uh, these trans people and these groomers are going too far. I mean, like, it seems like he's almost engineered for that position. Uh, and I think he had actually been involved, although weirdly enough, under a different name. But there's a video showing him in like 2019 claiming to be Anthony something or other, uh, you know, uh, and organizing uh, gays for Trump. Uh, so, 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 you know, I don't think one can be too cynical. Like, it seems like it's like an almost perfectly engineered candidate for playing that sort of, you know, identity game of, uh, you know, having a, a providing plausible deniability, easing people's conscience and providing, you know, the voice that you need to uh, attack um, minority groups. Do you, do you agree? I mean, yes, <laughs> there is a there's even a, a clip from Santos on his most recent campaign where he says something to the effect of, and I'm not going to get his phrasing exactly, but he says something, you know, as a gay, as a proud gay man, I think it's ridiculous that they're teaching gender ideology in our schools, you know, uh, um, and it's a classic right wing weaponization of identity politics to sort of pretend that a member of the targeted group cannot be complicit in the bigotry or targeting of that group. And therefore, if you make that person your messenger, they can be a very effective weapon. Um, and, and really, like, using the identity as a moral shield, it's sort of a classic uh, right-wing tool for opposing, uh, like, sort of social inclusion uh, or equity efforts, particularly towards, you know, very classically towards women and Black people, and now sort of the, the same model gets replicated towards, you know, whichever... Um, <laughs> whichever minority population needs to be targeted. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's a long, you know, we could be here all day, but there's a long history of um, gay people sort of positioning themselves as one of the good ones and of, and, you know, and it's, it, it's got, it's a, it's a position with its own rewards uh, also. As I think George Soros, you know, seems to, I'm sorry, not George Soros. Oh my God, I sound like Tucker Carlson. George Santos seems to have discovered, um, you know, for himself. Yeah, no, no absolutely. Uh, and the, um, uh, uh, perhaps the, uh, the place to like sort of close this out though is, um, yeah, we mentioned that, that there's a kind of a financial um, issues uh, that are likely to be investigated. And I think if, if Santos gets in trouble, it's going to be through campaign financing laws uh, because that's where like there seems to be a lot of skullduggery. Um, and I think the um, the novelist Joseph O'Neill tweeted out something that was very interesting, just basically the point that he feels like, you know, this is a case of the system punching down, that Santos is an easy target uh, and that that same system seems reluctant to go after, you know, Donald Trump, uh, the, the uh, you know, um, a major figure of Trump org, which did uh, a lot of shady tax stuff and uh, uh, it has all sorts of other financial improprieties, including, you know, seeming money laundering with Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, putting a lot of money into Trump resorts. Uh, and it seems 
very striking that the, the same system that, you know, is letting Trump and not just Trump, many other politicians like get away with it is uh, is going to go after uh, uh, our friend George Santos. Yeah, you know, there's often like a um, a sacrificial lamb quality when these prosecutions actually happen. I'm thinking like I wrote a lot about Me Too and there was a sense that like, okay, well, Harvey Weinstein was especially egregious and he's not really making people money anymore. So like this is the guy that we can give up to like calm the outrage uh, almost like a sacrificial lamb, you know, we'll give you this guy and shut up. <laughs> Whereas, you know, George Santos is not the only person allegedly, suspiciously, you know, running his political campaign as a, a money laundering operation. Um, he's not the most powerful. And, you know, once he is no longer as needed as he appears to be by Kevin McCarthy right now, I think he will be... Um, a disposable embarrassment and and something that they're willing to get rid of. Um, but right now, Kevin McCarthy needs that vote. Um, they are not apologizing. You know, Elise Stefanik, a very uh, prominent rising star in the Republican Party, went in really hard for Santos, and she is not apologizing, not issuing any kind of mea culpa. They are going to approach their support for him with the exact same shamelessness that he approached his own fabrications. Uh, and if he gets in trouble, I think, I think you know, O'Neill might have a point. It might be um, a bit of a drop in the bucket or some low-hanging fruit, to mix my metaphors, uh, because um, he is merely one egregious and obvious example of a much deeper uh, rot of corruption. Yeah, no, I th and I think that's an, an excellent point to end this discussion with. I mean, I, I think uh, I'm going to link uh, to Mara's... Uh, uh, column. I think that the point uh, that she makes uh, uh, was really people need to take away with is it. like, it's okay to laugh at Santos. This is a very funny, entertaining story. Uh, but, you know, he is emblematic of so much more in American politics and uh, the American, not just the American economy, the American social system. Uh, you know, uh, George Santos, uh, c'est moi. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, the look in the mirror, America, and you'll see George Santos. So uh, I, I want to thank Mara once again for being here. Uh, great conversation. Thanks, Jeet. This was really fun.